The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. That was the old song. On August 13th, you will hear the new song. I'm pretty sure that that wasn't the first song that I was exposed to as a child, but I would bet you it was in the first 10 or 15 that I was exposed to as a toddler. Hail to the Redskins, the old song. The new song debuts according to a press release that went out this morning from the team on August 13th at home in the preseason opener against Carolina at FedEx Field. Uh, Yeah, that will also be the first game day performance for the Commander's marching band. I like the old song. Who knows? Maybe I'll like the new song. Remember Michael Jackson and the 25-year anniversary of Motown, which was probably in the mid-80s? It was a primetime television special, and he came out with his brothers, and they did all the Jackson 5 hits in a medley, and then Michael Jackson said goodbye to his brothers, and he said, those were the old songs, but I also like the new songs. And then he played Billie Jean. Uh, Maybe that's what we're getting here uh, on August 13th. The debut of the new fight song, 1 p.m. kickoff on August 13th against the Panthers. How many people are going to be at FedEx Field for a preseason game in the middle of a Saturday afternoon in mid-August? I don't know. Um, Look, this was part of the team's announcement of game themes for what they're calling its inaugural season. It feels like an inaugural season, but really what they're talking about is the inaugural season of the Commanders, the new name, the new uniforms, the new brand, the new fight song. And for all 10 of its home games this year, it has a theme and a corresponding event or a corresponding ask. Now, before I go through some of these, I want to be really clear. I'm not being critical of this. It seems very small market-ish. Some of it does, but I understand the position that they are in. Jason Wright and his team has essentially a mandate 
to create a stronger business that is losing resilient, as he's told me before, meaning they can't worry about whether or not, whether or not the team wins or loses. The team is in, as I've mentioned many times before, they are in customer acquisition mode. It's like it's a new business for them. They're like launching a new retail restaurant, and they got to get the word out that they play NFL football in a stadium that's not that far from D.C., and they play some really good teams. They play the Cowboys. They play the Giants. They play the Eagles. They've got to market themselves. I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but I want to be clear. When I start talking about some of these things, I get what they're trying to do. It's not what most NFL markets and teams have to do, but this one has to gain more customers. They are in the customer acquisition business, something most NFL teams are not in, and for many, many years, Washington wasn't either, but they are. And because of that, they've got themes, kind of collegiate-like, small market-like, for all of their home games. They have the debut of the fight song uh, as a theme titled Play Football in the preseason opener against Carolina. Um, Week one is Commander's Kickoff. Um, There's a pregame 9-11 tribute because the game is on 9-11. And at halftime, they're going to pay tribute uh, to iconic legends from the 50s, 60s, and 1970s rosters. Um, I'll skip ahead. I'm not going to read every single one. Uh, Week 7 against Green Bay is the uh, Alumni Homecoming Weekend. I don't like it being called Homecoming Weekend. It should just be called Alumni Weekend. That would be the advice that I would have given. Um, They're going to pay tribute to each of the five World Championship teams uh, during that game, either pregame or halftime, I am assuming. Then in Week 9... Home game against Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. This is the first of two color-coded games. This is going to be a blackout game. Fans are encouraged to dress in all black for the home game against the Vikings. I would assume the team will be in their black uniforms for that game uh, as well. There's also a whiteout game that comes in the final week of the season, home game, home finale. Uh, The theme is We Want Dallas, and it is a whiteout game. Fans are encouraged to dress in all white for that game. Let's hope it's a meaningful game with mostly Washington fans um, because it may be hard to get the Cowboy fans to dress in all white. Uh, There's a recognition of the Hogs game in Week 17 against the Browns. That game will also include the unveiling of a new mascot. The team is going to have a mascot Details on the season-long fan engagement program to help select the mascot will be announced later on this summer, but the unveiling of that new mascot comes in the next-to-last home game, Week 17, against the Browns. And then there is this. On November 27th, home game against the Atlanta Falcons. It's going to include it's the theme is season of giving okay we're uh thanksgiving weekend uh, a couple of days after thanksgiving that particular sunday against atlanta there's a toys for tots toy drive 
Um, and then part of that uh, Week 12 home game against Atlanta will include the debut of a permanent installation at FedEx Field for Sean Taylor. I told you guys, you know, last fall, they're not going to stop on the Sean Taylor stuff. The Sean Taylor stuff is is their go-to. Even though they butchered it the first time, this is Dan's go-to. This is his guy. This was his moment as an owner. He's really had two of them, the hiring of Joe Gibbs and the way the team responded and handled that particular tragic week. Now, when I read debut of a permanent installation, I am thinking statue. Look, I've said this many times. I love Sean Taylor. I loved him as a player, and I understand his jersey being retired, even though I do not think it should have been the next jersey after Bobby Mitchell's to be retired. I think there were, there were several jerseys that should have been in line to be retired before Sean's jersey. You could debate whether or not Sean, uh, Sean's jersey even deserves to be retired, but I've made that a special exception. This was a player that was um, special to uh, a large part of the fan base, very special to the owner, and to me that's the owner's prerogative. And I don't have a problem with Sean's jersey uh, being retired as it was. A statue would have been over the top, in my opinion. Again, no disrespect to the memory of Sean Taylor, no disrespect to his family his wife, his child, Um, but that would have been over the top. Now, I've been told that it's probably not a statue. It would be more like some sort of shrine. Now, what I would advise them to do is make sure that if they build the shrine to Sean Taylor, they put it in a part of the stadium that is accessible to all. Don't put it on the club level where only club seat holders have access to it. Don't make that mistake. If you're going to build a shrine to Sean Taylor, you put it in an area of the stadium, inside the stadium, I would assume, where it is accessible for all. Now, November 27th is will be, 2022, will be the 15-year anniversary of Sean's passing. He died on November 27th, 2007. Today, many of us, uh, many of you guys, um, and a lot of us that were working in the media at the time will never forget those few days, um, will forever be etched in my memory. They were so sad, including the culmination of that week, which was the home game against the Bills at FedEx Field uh, and everything that happened during that game. But um, I don't know, to unveil this shrine on the anniversary of his death, um, I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, I just hope that whatever they do, um, it's first rate and that it's accessible to all and that if they do some sort of um, ceremony uh, to introduce this permanent installation, whatever it is, Um, I hope that they do it uh, with class Um, and uh, just a lot better than what they did last fall in the Jersey retirement um, uh, situation uh, that particular day. Anyway, um, look, they have to figure out ways to get people to games. You know, 
these um, you know blackouts and whiteout games, they appeal to young people. And this is who they are trying to attract. You know who else they appeal to? Perhaps very young people, where parents might say, okay, let's put our black on and let's go to the game against the Vikings. Or let's get all dressed up in white and go to the game against the Cowboys. Um, so... I get it. Uh, I don't think it's you know so typical for NFL teams. I, I don't think so. Look, a lot of these places are filled with jersey wearing fans anyway. So you know, you watch a game uh, in a lot of these places. It looks like it was a color coded game. Um, although there there will be a lot of you know dark colored jerseys and light colored jerseys of the home team. But anyway, uh, there you go. The themes for uh, the home schedule, 10 home games uh, this year, and um, including the preseason game and all that will be happening around it. So I would expect a lot of this stuff, you know, we, by the way, the other thing that these themes um, and these events, it allows them to market each game uh, individually uh, in a way in which, you know, let's just say the season ticket, you know, I know that they are uh, increased from where they've been the last couple of years. That's not saying much. But let's just say that, you know, you still end up with a stadium that has maybe forty or 50,000 season, season ticket holders, but you're only getting twenty five to 35,000 a game. Um, it allows you to market each individual game. What will be able, uh, what, will, what would be much more effective uh, for the business side of the building in promoting uh, individual game tickets would be a really good record for the team against a really good opponent. But a really good record uh, really is paramount um, if you're going to sell more tickets. But there you go. That is your inaugural season of the Commanders and their game themes. Uh, before the end of this show, I'm going to play something for you that Ryan Fitzpatrick said to Adam Schefter on Adam's podcast that I think is instructive as it relates to Chase Young. I'll get to that in the next segment. Also in the next segment, uh, Albert Breer wrote a story on SI.com that just broke about an hour ago titled Carson Wentz is making the most of what may be his last shot. He's got a lot of access there to uh, Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera during OTAs. I'm going to read some of that to you uh, when we come back. But keeping with the theme of press releases received here in the opening segment, I got the press release regarding game themes for the Commanders. Uh, I also got a press release from the University of Maryland titled, Ralph Friedgen named to College Football Hall of Fame ballot. Ralph Friedgen has been named to the 2023 ballot for induction into the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know anything about the College Hall of Fame. I don't know who's in it. I don't know who isn't in it. I don't know who should be in it. I don't know who shouldn't be in it. I did look at the list of the coaches that are on the ballot for 2023. They include Ralph. They include Paul Johnson, the longtime Navy and Georgia Tech coach. Uh, That list includes Mark Richt. But let me just say this about Ralph Friedgen. God, I hope he gets in to the College Football Hall of Fame. I've always felt that Ralph has been underrated as a coach. I don't think people realize how respected in the profession Ralph Friedgen was as a quarterback's coach, as an offensive coordinator, as an overall offensive guru. He had an incredible career in that Ralph was an assistant coach for 32 years 
before he finally got his first head coaching opportunity at his alma mater in 2001. He was an assistant for Bobby Ross at Maryland during Ross's very productive years in the early to mid-80s. He was the offensive coordinator with Ross at Georgia Tech, uh, which included, by the way, um, a phenomenal season in 1990. Georgia Tech went uh, to a share of the national championship. Ralph was the offensive coordinator. They were 11-0-1. I think their tie was against Virginia if my memory serves me correct correctly. He then followed Bobby Ross to the NFL, uh, where he orchestrated an offense that uh, appeared in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 29 against the 49ers with Ralph as the offensive coordinator. That was the Stan Humphreys uh, San Diego Chargers. They got blown out 49-26 to in that Super Bowl. Um, but Ralph... Uh, stuck with Bobby Ross for a while and then got his uh, first head coaching job at Maryland in 2001. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Ralph may have been overlooked for all of those years. Bobby Ross himself was an offensive guru and an offensive head coach, and Ralph was kind of paired and and viewed as kind of a an OC kind of a guy wherever Bobby Ross went. Um, but there were other reasons. Ralph's appearance may have had something to do with him not getting getting a head coaching job for many, many years. But when he finally got a head coaching job at his alma mater in 2001, he made the most of it. Ralph's run as a head coach at Maryland, I don't think gets enough credit. Um, In my lifetime, you know, Jerry Claiborne and Bobby Ross are the two coaches that led Maryland to success, to ACC championships. Uh, In Jerry Claiborne's case, Maryland played uh, nearly for an undefeated season. They lost the Cotton Bowl to the University of Houston uh, in the the 76th season. They went undefeated. It was the one season, by the way, they didn't play Penn State. Bobby Ross won ACC titles at Maryland in the early to mid-80s. But Ralph Friedgen had a 10-year run at Maryland. He went 75-50 and as the head coach at Maryland. I understand it was in the ACC. Um, He went to seven bowl games in 10 years and won five of those bowl games. He had but just one awful season out of the 10 as a head coach. They went 2-10 in 2009, and then he followed it up with an ACC Coach of the Year season and a 9-4 season in 2010. Uh, He went 5-6 a couple of years. He went 6-6 one year and lost his bowl game, so technically it was a 6-7, but he made it to a bowl game. But Maryland was a legit competitive team year in and year out in the ACC. They won their lone ACC title. Remember, this was a league with Florida State in it, okay? Um, And they won that uh, ACC title in 2001, lost the Orange Bowl to Rex Grossman and Florida. Uh, But Ralph was a hell of a coach, and what Ralph was and will always be talked about in coaching circles is he was a feared offensive guru. I mean, defensive coordinators, defensive head coaches, you ask any of them from from that era, they know Ralph. I remember having a conversation with Mike Shanahan about Ralph Friedgen, and he's like, oh, one of the best, one of the really good offensive minds. Um, Ralph Friedgen was a really, really good, borderline great 
college coach for a long period of time, not just as a head coach. You don't get into the Hall of Fame, I don't think, for being an assistant coach in college football as far as I know. Um, But Ralph had a 10-year run. And by the way, remember, came back with Rutgers as the OC in 2014 and beat Maryland. Um, I hope Ralph gets in, and I hope he's well. I know he was honored recently by the Touchdown Club, by Steve Beck in the Touchdown Club. Um, I hope Ralph uh, gets into the Hall of Fame. I think he has always been very much an afterthought, criminally underrated as a really, really outstanding uh, football coach um, in college, of course, but also briefly in the NFL where he coached uh, and coordinated an offense in a Super Bowl game. All right, when we come back, uh, I want you to hear something that Ryan Fitzpatrick told Adam Schefter on his podcast and what uh, Albert Breer wrote about Carson Wentz and the way he is adapting to his new environment here in D.C. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple. I know most of you listen on Apple, but wherever you can rate us and review us, do it. Uh, Five stars, quick one to two sentence review on Apple is a big help. Uh, This from Captain underscore Colonel. Uh, Ash burned is the title of his review. If I ever want to be ash burned in May and early June, this is the place to be. Please more talk about Carson Wentz throwing a gorgeous fade to Cam Sims in OTAs. Uh, five stars for you. Uh, thank you very much for the review. We don't do a lot of breaking down OTA throws. Um, that'll happen again this Wednesday, uh, in the third day of the third session of OTAs, because that is a media day this Wednesday. And look, um, I don't blame uh, many of the people that I I call friends, not just professional friends, but personal friends that cover the team on a daily basis as beat reporters. There is clearly, um, you know, an audience for uh, the hype of OTAs. 
and the detail, the blow-by-blow of OTA days. Um, That's not really, as I know uh, Captain uh, slash uh, Colonel uh, knows this, it's not really what this podcast is about. I really don't take much stock in anything that's coming out of OTAs in terms of the play on the field. Now, I think sometimes you can learn a lot from listening to people talk, coaches talk in particular, and really the only news typically out of this thing is bad news, you know, injury news, and we hope that none of that uh, happens. Speaking of injuries, Ryan Fitzpatrick retired officially, I think, over the weekend, and he was on the Adam Schefter podcast, which I listened to uh, this morning. And I, I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's interesting. I think he's smart. But there's this one part of the podcast that I wanted to play uh, for you. It's a quick soundbite from Ryan Fitzpatrick answering the question from Adam Schefter about how he's going to deal with retirement after having kind of the same routine for 17 NFL seasons. Here's what Ryan Fitzpatrick said. Uh, you know, last year for me ended up being kind of a preview of what was to come because after I got hurt um, and with the trainer situation in Washington, uh, I was pretty much removed from the team uh, probably three, four weeks after my injury. And so it was kind of a, you know, rehab for an hour or two each day, but I was removed from the day-to-day of the meetings and the football and being involved with that. So uh, gave me a glimpse into the future of what retirement would look like and um, drove my wife crazy. But uh, I think I think it was a, a good preview for what was to come. And, you know, I think it's it's something that it was time and I'm, I'm ready for it. The trainer situation that Fitzpatrick was talking about, obviously, is Ryan Vermillion, the head athletic trainer who was escorted out of the building last October in the midst of a DEA raid on the facility. And that's what I wanted um, to talk about here, because as it relates to the most significant of injured players last year, Uh, Logan Thomas was significant, but Chase Young's injury. Chase Young has chosen to have his rehab and recovery take place in Colorado with the group that rehabbed Von Miller after his uh, injury. Uh, I'm not so sure that the team is thrilled with that, but you know, according to them, everything is going well. But I think they would have preferred to have had it closer to home. But whatever, it's not that big of a deal. But it's really not that big of a deal if you consider that Chase Young is doing what's best for him. Look, Washington's been in sort of a stage of, you know, unknown when it comes to their head athletic trainer and and medical staff. I mean, they just recently hired Al Bellamy, who was on Bubba Tire's staff in the 80s. They were without a head athletic trainer for a long period of time. And, you know, there was certainly um, a lack of, you know, confidence going back to pre-Ron Rivera days. This has not been the best, you know, athletic training and medical situation in the NFL. So I just point that out to say, look, I don't really have an issue with Chase Young handling his rehab and recovery the way he wants to do it, especially when you consider the situation and what it's been in Washington for a long period of time. That is his injury, his recovery. He's gone to apparently one of the best. And maybe Washington will improve on this front. Maybe the staff under Ryan Vermillion wasn't that bad, but there wasn't a group 
when Chase Young was injured. There wasn't Al Bellamy in the building at that point. And when he started his recovery after after surgery, I don't think Bellamy had even been hired yet. Um, anyway, uh, the next thing that I wanted to get to real quickly um, was Albert Breer wrote a story uh, titled, Carson Wentz is making the most of what may be his last shot. It was a story uh, on SI.com. Albert Breer wrote, Uh, earlier today. You know, there's a lot of the stuff about, you know, how Carson is kind of adapting to his new uh, surroundings and, you know, how he played golf and he's trying to get his uh, to to know his teammates. And, you know, it's it's all positive. There's not one negative thing um, in this story from Breer. So there's not, you know, I'm not about to get to something that is kind of an oh, wow moment at all. But I thought there were a couple of things that were interesting. Um, And the first is this about Carson Wentz and his personality. Carson Wentz obviously has been criticized, um, you know, kind of over-the-top criticized by uh, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts and through various articles that have been written now stemming from his time in Philadelphia and in Indianapolis. And you would think that that would be something that uh, a professional athlete, a high-level competitor, would be like, look, the, you know, they'll see. You know, like he's about to go on a revenge tour, gets the Eagles twice this year, gets the Colts in his first year in D.C. as well. But Albert Breer uh, wrote the following about kind of his mindset heading into this all-important year for him. He wrote, How he's approaching this is much different than you might expect. So many quarterbacks and players who have been in Wentz's spot before find motivation in slights and vow to play with with the proverbial chip on their shoulder. And for some, that really works with the doubt of others fueling resurgent play. Wentz, for his part, won't knock others for that, and he certainly felt it from those who gave up on him. It's just not him to use that the way other players would. Uh, Rivera said, quote, I don't think he's scarred that much. Did it hurt? I'm sure it did. But I also think because he's a young man of faith that he looks at it as part of a plan. Closed quote. Wentz said, quote, there's for sure a human side, the I want to prove people wrong side. But it's what Coach said, being a man of God, a man of faith. This is a blessing. Playing this game is a blessing. It might not, might not have gone the last couple of years the way I saw it in my head, but to know that I'm still healthy, I'm still playing the game I love, and have an incredible family that supports me, and I come home and my wife and daughters, they don't care if I threw five, five touchdowns or five picks. It doesn't matter to them. It's a blessing. Just knowing there's a purpose and a plan in place, and for me to just, because of my faith, go out and play freely and have fun and enjoy it for as long as I can, the rest should take care of itself. Closed quote. I think this is interesting with every athlete that is super, super religious and, you know, men or women of faith. They they very much internalize the negative uh, you know, portions of their career as part of God's plan. And Wentz says, I'm not in the business of trying to prove people wrong. There's a human side, but you know, that's not me. That's what Breer writes. This is just part of the plan. 
You know who else I have heard say that over and over and over again? Every single time he has a bad moment or his team has a bad moment is one of my recent favorite quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins. He never blames anybody. He never talks about revenge or proving people wrong ever. Never talks about that. Now, we have the moments of you like that. But in Minnesota anyway, with all of the criticism, you know, and again, he has polarized that fan base in the same way he's polarized this one. There's never this chip. I don't sense there is. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, playing with that chip, playing with revenge in mind and as a motivation, I guess can be effective, but only to a certain point. Um, But this is who Wentz is. You know, Wentz is a man of faith. Rivera, I don't think he's scarred as much. You know, essentially saying, I don't think these two experiences – have really, you know, you know, did it hurt? I'm sure it did, but he looks at it as part of a plan. I don't know. I always find that interesting whenever I see that from um, athletes. By the way, there's another part of this that I wanted to um, reference, and th- this has more to do with Ron Rivera. You know, you've heard in the past the Carolina players that really loved playing for Ron Rivera. They were very upset when he got fired back in 2019. You've heard it here, too, from people. I think the players do respect Ron Rivera. I think Ron Rivera's taken on a different role in this organization than maybe he had uh, in Carolina, where he was strictly the head coach, coach-centric. I think he's taken on maybe more of a CEO role um, in Washington than maybe he had in Carolina, and I don't know if that was the intent. Maybe the cancer scare, um, you know, sort of prompted that when he was out uh, a lot. Um, I don't know why that is, but I think his role, and I think I asked him about this at one point during um, the season on the radio show. I think he admitted that you know he's a different kind of coach here uh, than he was at Carolina. But one thing that is true about Rivera is Rivera really tries to be very good to his players. He tries to create this family uh, atmosphere. Ron Rivera knew, um, Albert Breer wrote, uh, that Carson Wentz was probably going to be floored by the trade from Indianapolis. And Ron Rivera wanted to be there the moment, you know, basically this trade uh, was made. Um, And there were multiple things uh, from uh, Rivera and from Carson Wentz on how welcoming Ron Rivera was. Um, this was from uh, th- this was from uh, Wentz himself. He said, "Quote: I felt it from the jump. Honestly, within minutes of getting the call from Chris Ballard about the trade, the Indian- Indianapolis GM." I heard from Coach Rivera. He was very forthright, and he couldn't express his excitement more, which meant a lot to me. It's a huge transition. It's a lot of things. It's been well documented, the ups and downs and the being caught off guard aspect of it. But coming in and talking to him right away, a guy, I know I've said this on record multiple times, I've had a ton of respect for from afar, meant a lot. 
Rivera didn't waste much time before backing up his words with his actions. Soon after the trade, he and his wife Stephanie invited Wentz and his wife Madison out to spend a day at their place and capped it with dinner at at Dan and Tanya Snyder's house. The Wentz's brought their daughters, so over the course of a few hours, the coach got to see his new quarterback interact with first his kids and then his new boss. He was just so natural and comfortable, Rivera said. I liked who he was. So in reading this one portion of Breer's story, I had a thought. It's not an original thought for me, but um, I want to repeat it again, I guess. Uh, And that is that Ron Rivera is a good leader. Ron Rivera is a good leader. I don't think all of you agree, and that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, But Ron Rivera has um, the ability to lead people in that environment. I think Ron Rivera has a high EQ, maybe a higher EQ than he does an IQ. I I don't know uh, at all um, for sure uh, because I don't know him uh, well. But I think from afar, what you get from this little passage in Breer's story and what we've gotten in the past is that Ron Rivera relates to people. Um, Ron Rivera and his wife together are a likable pair. Um, And players have liked him wherever he's gone, as an assistant coach, as a head coach in Carolina, and as far as we know so far here, as kind of a head coach slash slash CEO in Washington. He leads with encouragement, with empathy. Um, You know, he's got that military side to him as well, which, you know, I think that, you know, we've seen some of those passionate, you know, post-game speeches, you know, during that four-game winning streak in particular. You know, I think he's got a command to him. He's got, you know, a gravitas to him uh, as well. But I don't know. I guess I read that because it just, you know, reinforced for me. I mean, I may not love everything about Ron Rivera, and who knows if he'll last But I do think that he's a quality person and a good leader. Like, look, I like Jay Gruden, and I think Jay Gruden would be a lot of fun to hang out with, and I love talking football with Jay Gruden. But would Jay Gruden have worried that much about Carson Wentz's feelings after being traded twice in, you know, in 12 or 13 months? I just think Ron Rivera gets it when it comes to people, young people. Um, Anyway. That's all I wanted to say. Uh, There was another part of Breer's story that I'll just mention real quickly. It dealt more with some football stuff. Um, There's this line that uh, the commander saw in Wentz was some of the obvious, how his ability to push the ball downfield could unlock the potential of Washington's speedy cadre of receivers. And some things a little less obvious, how his downturn last year coincided with the Colts becoming more run-reliant on early downs behind Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, that would that would be, which seemed to knock Wentz off rhythm a little bit, but should be easy to correct. Um, Scott Turner said in this story, quote, I think when you look at the way he played last year and really over the course of his career, he's a guy who's a big physical guy and he's going to make a lot of big plays. He's a good athlete. He can extend some plays with his strength and physicality, physicality and then his ability to just push the ball down the field. He's got a rare ability to do that. Not many guys in the league can do that. The way we've built our offense, we've got some speed on offense. And I think having a guy like that really helps helps you get the most out of it. 
So I, you know, and then and then Breer writes, in the minds of the commanders, there wasn't a ton of rebuilding that needed to happen in Wentz's game. More so, it would be about having the right personnel and the right scheme for Wentz, the kinds that would match his talents. Um, that from the Breer story. You know, look, this story overall is really positive. You know, Breer also was the one that wrote the story before they went after a quarterback about what a great place Washington would be. Breer's a professional long-term writer. I mean, I'm not, I'm not accusing him of writing puff pieces. But in his conversations with Rivera in particular, you know, there's been just a lot of positive about the situation. And maybe it is positive right now. And maybe Rivera is telling the truth. Time will tell. But the, the point here is that there's a lot of, you know – kind of getting the word out that the situation just wasn't right in Indianapolis. You know, early down runs, concentration on John Taylor, on Jonathan Taylor being the the go-to guy. And by the way, they 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 went on their win streak when Jonathan Taylor started to get the ball a shitload of times. I've gone through this several times, but if you go back to the 2021 season, d- during their uh you know, uh, streak of winning, um they won, I think it was eight games in 10 to get back to nine and six before losing those final two games of the year. Uh, Jonathan Taylor went over 100 yards in all of those games except for two of them um, and had a 172-yard game and a 185-yard game. They beat the, the two best wins they had over New England and Buffalo, went through for 106 yards and 57 yards. In their 27-17 win over New England, Wentz threw for 57 yards. It was all Jonathan Taylor. So anyway, they're trying to get the message across through this story Breer is and through Scott Turner and Rivera, etc., is that he wasn't really used properly. They didn't leverage his best strengths. So we'll see. Washington's going to cha- going to have a chance to do that. By the way, um, Breer writes at the very end of this story. Uh, let me find the line. Um, he said, "There's a lot riding on Wentz's 2022, really for everyone in Washington." Yeah, this is a referendum year for uh, Rivera in Washington. Um, he's raised the expectation levels to a point in which they need to succeed. They need to be a playoff team. Now, I don't know what, how that would sort of manifest itself if it doesn't turn out to be one. I think he's here for the duration if he wants to be. But it is an important year for everybody uh, in Washington. All right, uh, a few things that we haven't touched on, including some of the weekend's biggest events when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Golden State with another stop. Trying to close out this third quarter better than they did in game one. It's a good thing that I am not uh, betting and haven't placed a wager uh, since uh, the Final Four. If you want a wager, go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC and they'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. But I would have bet last night Boston plus four, um, and I would have been dead wrong. Um, There are a couple of things that stood out uh, for me uh, in the 107-88 win for Golden State last night to even up the NBA Finals at a game apiece. Number one was this. I thought it was one of the better Steph Curry games defensively that I've ever watched. I don't know that I've ever said, wow, Steph was great on defense. And I felt like he was really good on defense last night. Exceptional on defense last night. I thought the Warriors in general were exceptional on defense last night, and they really took the life out of the Celtics. You know, Jason Tatum came came out last night after a 3-for-17 game one. His team won the game, but he only scored 14 points, and he was 3-for-17, and he was hunting shots. Too much, I thought, even though he was knocking down a bunch of them in what was a thrilling first quarter. Uh, ended up with 28, but... None of the players. I mean, that game was over at the end of three quarters, courtesy of Jordan Poole's back to uh, back threes. He hit uh, the near half court shot at the buzzer, but also in a two for one situation, made one from about thirty feet on the possession uh, before. But um, yeah, Tatum had twenty eight in the game, and he's a great player. But he looked hurt. He looked tired. Boston looked tired. They got two points combined from Marcus Smart and Al, and Al Horford. All right, that is, you know, after in game one getting a combined 44 from those two players. Uh, Jalen Brown really had it going well early in the game. Al Horford looked like he was 75 years old last night. I mean, he was horrendous, looked out of place. Rarely do you say that about anybody on an NBA floor, especially a guy that had 26 in game one. He looked like a guy that was playing at your health club on a Saturday morning with a bunch of old men. It was, it, it was awful to watch. Hopefully he'll be rested when they get back to Boston. Um, Curry was great. Klay Thompson continues to struggle. He just doesn't look right. He's a catch-and-shoot guy, and he's being forced to put the ball on the floor a lot. I think that's part of the problem. He was 4 for 19 in the game last night. Um, but overall... I thought uh, you know, Golden State's defense was just tremendous, and Steph Curry's defense, tremendous. They didn't care about switching Curry onto Brown or Curry onto Tatum. They were switching a lot, um, and uh, I just thought he was tremendous last night uh, overall. Um, defensively, uh, obviously as a shooter, but as a scorer, uh, as well. Uh, this series goes back to Boston for games three and four. You know, you really can't in an NBA playoff series say, oh, so that's what's going to happen after watching the previous game or referring to the previous game. Just like game one, I kind of made the mistake of saying, you know what? I think Boston is just better. Now, I said that right before the series and I picked Boston in seven. 
But, man, they looked tired. They looked worn out. Uh, you know, Jason Tatum's got a shoulder injury, clearly, that he's playing with. Golden State actually looks deeper. They got Peyton back last night. Um, yeah, I I don't know where this series is headed. I'll stick with my prediction, Boston in seven. But I was impressed with Golden State defensively last night. And we cannot get, you know, a game that comes down to the final two minutes in any of these playoff games, it seems like. The best two games were games six and seven of the Miami-Boston series. Um, Rafael Nadal uh, won the French Open. Won the French Open apparently after taking a shot of anesthesia for his left foot. That doesn't even seem right to me. I mean, a painkiller, uh, a super, you know, anti-inflammatory, Maybe. But anesthesia, numbing up the area, he, he said he couldn't feel his foot. And he beat this guy 6-3, 6-3, 6-love. Rafael, Rafael Nadal now has 22 Grand Slams, 14 in Paris, but 22 overall. For those that would say he's the greatest of all time, you can't be wrong. You cannot be wrong about that because here's the thing you know it would be one thing to say ah he's just a clay court player uh he can just play on the red clay at Roland Garros all of his majors came from there but it's not true he has 14 majors in Paris and eight among the Australian Wimbledon and U.S. Open by the way eight grand slams that aren't in Paris are more than John McEnroe had, more than Boris Becker had, more than Stefan Edberg had. I mean, more than some of the greatest to ever play had. He's got more majors than those players, not counting the French Open wins. He's 36 years old, just turned 36 years old. His record in Paris, 112-3. and a hundred and twelve and three. Like those are stop dead in your tracks numbers. 14 French Opens. The next closest is six. All right. Borg's got six French Opens. Borg had 11 total. Six and five at Wimbledon. Did, did not win the Australian. Did not win uh, the U.S. Open. And by the way, retired after losing the U.S. Open in 1981 for the second straight year to John McEnroe at the age of 26. Also, by the way, Bjorn Borg today is 66 years old. June 6th is his birthday. 66 years old, Bjorn Borg. But 112-3 and three at Roland Garros. That's just unbelievable. You know, when he got to 20 um, last year and lost to Djokovic in Paris, the thought was Djokovic was going to go on and become the all-time major leader. You know, he beat Par- he beat Nadal in Paris last year, won at Wimbledon. They all had 20. Federer had 20, Nadal had Federer, uh, 20, and Djokovic had 20. Fed, we have to assume, is done at the age of 40. And then Djokovic, you know, couldn't play in the Australian uh, Open. He, well, first of all, he lost in the U.S. Open final. Um, and then couldn't play in the Australian because he wasn't vaccinated. He loses to Nadal in the quarters in Paris uh, last week. Um, look, Djokovic is only 34 and he's probably going to be around and playing a lot more majors and he may end up passing Nadal, 
But if you want to say today that Nadal's the greatest of all time, have at it. You 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 cannot really um, be uh, on anything but solid ground as far as that's concerned. For me, I think the greatest I've ever watched at his height was Roger Federer. But I understand the argument for Nadal. I do. Um, and if he can get that foot worked out by Wimbledon, uh, he might be a threat there. And then at the U.S. Open in September. We are watching, as I've pointed out many times, the greatest in the history of tennis. I mean, these three guys combining for 62 Grand Slams. So, uh, you know, as much as I love uh, love the era of McEnroe and Connors and Borg and Lendl and Becker and Edberg and Vlander, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know, then kind of moving into the Sampras, Courier, Agassi uh, era. Um, I, you, you, we, we've kind of missed it as American tennis fans because we're not nearly the fans we used to be. Most of us aren't. The sport isn't super popular in the U.S., but we've missed the greatest run of men's tennis players. And by the way, the greatest run of female tennis players led by Serena as well. Although I think Everett and Navratilova, uh, that era, you could claim is a better era. Um, but Rafael Nadal, uh, 22nd Grand Slam, 14th in 17 years in Paris, and he did it with a shot of anesthesia that numbed his foot. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, by the way, Maryland baseball tonight against UConn to advance to the Super Regionals. Good luck uh, to them. Um, they staved off elimination with a 7-6 win in 11 innings uh, yesterday, um, which was uh, good for them. And then uh, there were the Nats uh, over the weekend. They won three straight against Cincinnati after losing the first on Thursday to the Reds, which means that as we speak, the Nats are at 21-35 and 35, uh, and do not have the worst record in the National League. That belongs to the opponent. They just beat down three straight, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, June 6th, that's it for today. June 6th, D-Day. Uh, that would be uh, the anniversary of D-Day, which happened in uh, 1945, uh, 1944, so 56, 22, 78 years ago today. Um, the Allies uh, invaded Normandy. If you've never been to Normandy, my God, what a trip. And the American cemetery at Normandy is unbelievably moving. So we're done for the day. I'm back tomorrow with Tommy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.